Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Life Church in Perry, Georgia. Hey everybody, Pastor Tim McLaughlin here. Man, hope you're having a great week. Summer is off to a bang, let me just tell you. It is hot down here, and uh, so hopefully uh, uh, school's out, temperature's up, and everybody's getting ready for summer, but uh, don't forget to to make sure that you're in church, and uh, if you don't have a home church, we'd love to have you here at Life Church, 100 Todd Road in Perry, Georgia. Also, let me remind you, and hopefully you will come out. If you are not a member of Life Church, uh, but if you listen to this podcast, if you're in the middle Georgia area, southern Georgia area, starting Sunday, June 5th, this coming Sunday, June 5th, at 7 p.m., camp meeting is starting. Um, We've got different speakers. We've got people coming in from Ohio, Indiana, Tennessee, even some local ministers right here, uh, Pastor Wayne from Fort Valley, and uh, we're going to have a great night. We're going to have worship uh, singers uh, on each night. We're going to have different ministers each night, and it's going to be starting Sunday, June 5th, running through Saturday, June the 11th, and uh, hopefully, by the grace of God, we'll continue to go on, and we'll have to get other speakers, but we're believing for uh, just a powerful move of God Uh, and seeing people's lives changed and transformed. And we want to invite you out. It's every night at 7 p.m. right here at Life Church 100 Todd Road. So if you can, make plans to attend. Uh, You can also follow us on Facebook at Facebook Live at LifeChurchGA.com. So we're picking up our study, our expository study of the book of Romans. We've been talking about this for several weeks. And last week, we went through Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. And we finished up uh, with, with this statement. What we learn from our studies, what we learn from what Paul is talking to us, is, is even with the most acute logic, even with the most persuasive arguments, the truth really comes down to and is proved out through the scriptures. The scriptures, the word of God, is the ultimate final word in any matter. It's, it's, it's the deciding point because scripture is from God. We're not going to debate with people. You'll never win a debate. You can't argue with people. Go back to the word. That's why the Paul, Paul said to Timothy, he said, study to show yourself approved, a workman that should not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. When we study things out, when we pray things out, God will reveal the truth to us <clears throat> through his word. So today we're going to pick up in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. Let me read verses 19 and 20 to you. It says, now we, sorry, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for the law is the knowledge of sin. So as we've discussed, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Rome, uh, a church body, a group of believers, both Jew and Gentiles. In Romans chapter 1, Paul was addressing the whole congregation. 
But then in chapter 2, he begins to focus his attention more on just the Jews in that same church. Now, halfway through this chapter, uh, here in chapter 3, he begins to take another turn as he addresses uh, a different aspect of the entirety of the church. See, when God gave the law to Israel, he was using Israel as a, a sample of the entire human race. God found that Israel was a failure. They, they missed it. They, they were struggling. Our example in the Old Testament constantly is how Israel was, was called out by God, was chosen by God, was given provision by God, but yet they constantly turned and went their own way. Then when they would get in a mess, they would ask God to save them, to redeem them, to uh, bring them out of their bondage. And so because of this continual failure and in, 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 in deliverance of Israel, we see really what God is trying to say to the whole, whole human race is that we continually miss it. It's the same way if I was a health inspector and I went to your house and I, I took a tube of water from your well and I tested that tube of water and I found out that the, the water in the tube was polluted. What I would do as a health inspector is I would have to pronounce that the entire well was therefore polluted. What does that have to do with Israel? Well, not that the whole world is polluted, not that every Jew was polluted, not that the nation of Israel is polluted, but what we have seen as a whole, even in the nation that we live in now, is that there's so many that are not living for God. There are so many that have turned their back on God. There are so many that are away from God that the believers are the minority in this situation, just like the, those Jews that were following after God. Paul explains that when the law speaks, it speaks to those who are under the law. The people of Israel, in order that every mouth, he says, Jew and Gentile alike may be stopped and all the world will be brought in guilty before God. See, no one can be justified by keeping the law. The law was not given to justify people, but to produce the knowledge of sin, not the knowledge of salvation. Let me say that again. God gave the children of Israel, God gave us the law. And it wasn't given to us to uh, produce a uh, justification. It was produced, given to us to produce a knowledge of sin. It was to help us to know what sin is. I've heard people say that before. Well, if you're lost and you didn't grow up in church, do you know what sin is? Absolutely, because it's in us all to know the difference between right and wrong. It is in our spirit, man, by our created being. So the law shows us what sin is. It doesn't show us what salvation is. That comes through Christ Jesus. As a mirror can show you your face is dirty, yet it was not designed to clean your face. A thermometer can tell you that you have a fever, but if you swallow the thermometer, it's not going to cure you of the fever. The law in and of itself is good when it's used to produce conviction of sin, but it's worthless as a savior from sin. 
The law can show you where you've missed it, but it can't redeem you from it. As Martin Luther, the great reformer said, the law functions not to justify, but to terrify. So the law opens our eyes to see where we have missed it and where we have need of a savior. Verse 21 through 26 says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness and that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We now come to really the heart of the letter to the Romans, to the church that is in Rome. When Paul answers the question, according to the gospel, how can ungodly sinners be justified by a holy God? That's the question. How can ungodly sinners be justified by a holy God? For generations, people had been sinning and learning that it was neither possible to put away or to conquer sin. We still see that revelation today. We, 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 we have a generation that continues to sin. We have all sinned. And we understand that, that it's not possible for us to put away our sin or to conquer that sin in our flesh. But Paul uses this phrase, but now. But now, God clearly and openly reveals to us the way from being set free from this sinful nature. This means that, that God put a plan in place and he revealed that plan by which God righteously saves unrighteous sinners. And that it is not by requiring men to keep the law. That's not the plan. See, God is holy. God cannot condone sin or overlook sin. He must punish it. And punishment for sin is death. But, but God loves the sinner and wants to save him. See, this is the dilemma. God's righteousness demands the sinner's death, but his love desires the sinner's eternal happiness. The gospel reveals how God can save sinners without compromising his righteousness. There, there's a supernatural unity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. What is emphasized here is the manifestation of God's righteousness. It can be stated clearly that Jesus Christ is God's righteousness. He who, has, he who was promised in the Old Testament, Jesus, had now been manifested in the flesh having been delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. 
Jesus was talked about. A Savior, the Messiah, was talked about in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament was manifested in the flesh, became a deliverer, crucified on a cross for our sins, but then was raised again from the grave to justify us, mankind. A righteous salvation is not obtained on the basis of keeping the law. The Apostle Paul tells us how we then obtain this salvation, and it's through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith right here means utter reliance on the living Jesus Christ as one's only Savior from sin and one's only hope for heaven. This is based on the revelation of the person and the work of Christ Jesus found in the scriptures. Faith is not a leap in the dark. Faith demands the surest evidence and finds it in an infallible word of God. Faith is not illogical or unreasonable. What is more reasonable than the creature that should trust his creator? That's reasonable. As a, as a creature, as, a, as, a, as one created by God, we should also trust in our creator, God, and his plans for us. Paul goes on and tells us that this salvation is to all and on all who believe. It is to all in the sense that it is available to all, it's offered to all, and it's sufficient for all. But it is only for those who believe. That, that is, it's, it's effective only in the lives of those who accept Jesus Christ as Lord of their life by a definite act of faith. So salvation is for all, it's offered to all, it's sufficient for all, but only those who by faith believe will receive it. When Paul says that salvation is available to all, he includes Gentile as well as Jews, because there's no difference. The Jew has no special privilege and the Gentile has no disadvantage. The, the availability is universal because the need for a Savior is universal. Paul says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jew and Gentile. Everybody sinned in Adam when he sinned. He acted as the representative for all his descendants. But... Men are not only sinners by nature, they are also sinners by practice. So not only do we sin because of Adam's sin, the first man's sin, but we also sin because we practice sin and fall short in ourselves of the glory of God. So the gospel tells us how God justifies sinners as a free gift and by an act of unmerited favor. What we, what we mean here, what we're trying to get across is this, that when we speak of, of the act of justification, we're speaking of this word justify, which also means to reckon or declare righteous. So when he says justifying, he's telling us that we have been declared by God righteous, not in of ourselves, but through Jesus. 
For example, God pronounces a sinner to be righteous when that sinner believes on and in the Lord Jesus Christ. However, a man can justify God by believing and obeying God's word. How can a man justify God? Well, Luke chapter 7 verse 29 says, And when the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. So even these tax collectors, even these sinners, even these people that weren't living it, they could justify Jesus as God because of his baptism of repentance, his, his, his following the Lord water baptism by John when the Holy Spirit descended upon him and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Therefore, he was justified by God. They, the tax collectors, then justified God. In other words, he declares God to be righteous in all that God says and does. We cannot make God righteous. God is already righteous, but we can declare Him to be righteous. We declare Him righteous by our confession. We declare Him righteous by the way that we live. We declare Him righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. God does not make the believer sinless or righteous in Himself. Rather, God puts righteousness to the believer's account. When we have faith to believe in God, when we make Jesus Lord of our lives, then God distributes, deposits that righteousness into our account. A.T. Pearson said this, God in justifying sinners actually calls them righteous when they are not, does not include sin where sin actually exists, and imputes righteousness where righteousness does not exist. See, God says, God says that, that you're justified, you're, you're made righteous even though you're not. He says, he says, there is no sin where sin actually is. God says that, that we are righteous even though we can only be made righteous in Christ. People have often said that the definition of justification is just as if I'd never sinned. But that doesn't go far enough. See, when God justifies the believing sinner, He not only acquits him from guilt, but clothes him in his own righteousness and thus makes him absolutely fit for heaven. See, justification goes beyond acquittal to approval. It goes beyond being pardoned to being promoted. The, the, the term acquittal is a court term that means only that a person is set free from the charge. If, if you were found guilty of speeding and you went to court, the judge could acquit you and those charges would be like as if they never happened. They would never show up on your record because you have been acquitted. All of our sin, even though we've all sinned, even though we've all come short of the glory of God, through His righteousness, through our faith in Jesus Christ, through making Him Lord of our life, when we are 
justified by Jesus Christ, we are acquitted as if we never had sinned before. God never looks back at our past. He only looks at the blood that has been applied and at our future life in Christ Jesus. Justification means that positive righteousness is now imputed to us. The reason God can declare ungodly sinners to be righteous is because Jesus Christ fully paid the debt of our sins by his death and his resurrection. When sinners accept Christ by faith, they are justified or acquitted. The Bible says in James 2.24, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. When James teaches that justification is by works, he does not mean that we are saved by good works or by faith plus good works. But rather what James is saying is it's by a kind of faith that results in good works. In other words, good works are the proof of our faith. So because of our faith in Jesus Christ, because we have been redeemed, we've been justified, we've been acquitted, we now produce good works. So in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, the Apostle Paul teaches that we are justified freely. It's not something we can earn or purchase, but rather something that is offered as a gift to us. Next, we learn that we are justified by God's grace. This simply means that it is wholly apart from any merit in ourselves. As far as we are concerned, it is undeserved, unsought, and unbought. Redemption means buying back by payment of ransom. Jesus bought us back from the slave market of sin. His precious blood was the ransom price which was paid to satisfy the claims of a holy and righteous God. The scriptures nowhere, nowhere in the scriptures suggest that a specific payment was made either to God or to Satan. The ransom that we're discussing was not paid to anyone, but is an abstract settlement that provided a righteous basis by which God could save the ungodly. It's the blood of Jesus. It's the ransom through Je that Jesus Christ paid is, 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 all that we need. There, there was not a monetary or a, a certain type of gift that was paid to anyone, but it is a, a something that is just known to be so. In verse 25, it says, God set forth Jesus as a propitiation. This term by which justice is satisfied, this propitiation, is God's wrath is turned aside and his mercy can be shown on the basis of an acceptable sacrifice. Four times in the New Testament, Jesus is spoken of as a propitiation. Here in Romans 3.25, we learn that those who put faith, put their faith in Christ will find mercy by virtue of his shed blood. Again, we see propitiation in 1 John 2, 2. And it says, And he himself is a propitiation of our sins, and not ourselves only, but also for the whole world. Here in 1 John 2, 2, Christ is described as a propitiation for our sins and for those in the whole world. His work is sufficient for the whole world, 
but is only effective for those who put their trust in him. Also in 1 John 4.10, it says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. See, God's love was manifested in sending his son to be a propitiation for us. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus for us. And then we also see this in Hebrews 2.17 where it says, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. See, the Old Testament equivalent of the word propitiation is mercy seat. The mercy seat was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. On the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, the high priest sprinkled the mercy seat with the blood of a sacrificial animal. By this means, uh, the, the errors of the high priest and of all the people were now atoned for because of this blood. However, when Christ Jesus made propitiation for our sins, he went further than what the human high priest could do. See, he not only covered us, but he did away with the sin completely. He completely removed it. The, 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 the high priest would cover it for a season, but they had to continually do it over and over and over to make atonement for the sins. Jesus Jesus' atonement was once and for all complete. We're not to put our faith in the blood of Jesus, but we are to put our faith in Christ himself. It's not, it, it is only through the resurrection and living Christ that we can be saved. Because he, not the blood, he, Christ Jesus, is the propitiation. He's the finished work of, of God. He declares God's righteousness for the remission of our sins that are past. Our past. This refers to sins committed before the death of Christ. From Adam to Christ, God saved those who put their faith in him on the basis of whatever revelation God gave them. Abraham is an example. Genesis 15, 6 says, And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So how could the debt of sin be paid when Christ had not yet shed his blood? The answer is that although Christ had not yet died, God knew that he would die. And God saved men on the basis of the future work of Christ. See, even if the Old Testament saints did not know about Calvary, God knew about Calvary. And he put all the values of Christ's work into their account when they believed in God. When they believed what God told them was true. When Abraham believed that God said, I would multiply your seed and you will become a great nation. When, when God spoke to David and told David that he would have an heir sitting on the throne and David believed. When God spoke to the prophets and said that there was one coming, a greater one, and they believed, God put, a, uh, put into their account righteousness. You could say the Old Testament believers were saved on credit. 
They were saved on the basis of a price still to be paid. They looked forward to Calvary. They looked forward to the cross. They looked forward to Jesus coming. And we look back at it. Verse 26 says, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now the death of Christ declares God's righteousness. God is just because he has required the full payment of the penalty of sin. And he can justify the ungodly without condoning their sins or compromising his own righteousness because a perfect substitute has died and risen again. Verse 27 to 28 says, Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what? Law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Boasting is banned. Boasting is, is shut out. Not by the principle of the law, nor by the principle of works, but when salvation is on the principle of faith, there's no room for boasting. The, the justified person, they, they say, I did all the sinning. Jesus did all the saving. We can't boast of what we've done. We boast of what Christ Jesus did. True faith disavows any possibility of self-help, self-improvement, or self-salvation because we can only look to Christ Jesus, our Savior. Verse 29 through 30 says, Or is He the God of the Jews only? Is He not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Jesus did not die for one race of mankind only, but for the whole world of sinners. And the offer of full and free salvation goes out to whosoever will. There is not two gods, one for the Jews and one for the Gentiles. There is only but one God, and there's only one way of salvation for all mankind. He justifies the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. There, there's no difference when Paul refers to by or through, but it is faith in Christ in both cases. It's only by faith that the Jews can be saved. It's only by faith that the Gentiles can be saved. By faith in Christ Jesus. And Paul finishes up Romans 3:30, Romans chapter 3 with verse 31 and says, "Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law." An important question still remains. When we say that salvation is by faith and not by law keeping, do we imply that the law is worthless and then should therefore be discarded? 
Does the gospel wave the law aside as if it had no place? <laughs> On the contrary, the gospel establishes the law. Remember, Jesus said, I did not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. The penalty for breaking the law must be paid. And the penalty is death. The gospel tells how Christ died to pay the penalty of the broken law. He did not treat it as a thing to be ignored. He paid the debt in full. Now, anyone who has broken the law can avail himself of the fact that Christ paid the penalty on our behalf. Therefore, the gospel of salvation by faith upholds the law by insisting that it is utmost demand must be and have been fully met through Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to minister your word. Thank you, Father God, for all those that are tuning in. And I pray, Lord, you said in your word, go and make disciples. That's what we're doing. We're teaching, Father, that others can learn, others can receive, others can be and accomplish all that you've called them to accomplish. And Father, we just pray that today you would open the ears of those who hear Father, open the hearts of those that they would receive so that we can all do and accomplish that which you've called us to do, to give glory and honor to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening. And again, don't forget about camp meeting next week. If you don't have a home church, we would love to have you here at Life Church, 100 Todd Road in Perry, Georgia.